You may recognize that now as we come to the part of the service when we uh, share God's Word, uh, recently it's been Ricky and I who have tag-teamed. This week he is taking a respite from preparing for a sermon, and he's going to leave here and go and visit with his family, and so we hope that he has a wonderful couple of days, and we want to wish him well. Before we get started, will you join me in prayer, please? Gracious and loving God, we enter into your holy presence with expectations that go beyond what we even imagine. And even as we encounter you, we, we ask that as our hearts and minds encounter your word and my words, talk about it, that they be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. Meriwether Lewis walked up to the stream and stuck his hand in the icy cold water and took a long, cool drink. As he stood there and looked at the stream, he began to think back over the last 15 months and this amazing journey that he had been through along with his companions. He He and Clark, along with the Corps of Discovery, had been commissioned to find a new passageway along a waterway that would allow commerce to go from the Mississippi River all the way to the Pacific River. This had been tried by many before, the French before them and the Spanish, and and now the Americans were trying their hand at it, and now Lewis knew that he had found it. He was so close. He expected that the mountain that was right there would be the apex of what he had been through the last 15 months. 15 months of of obstacles that were unbelievable. Grizzly bears, mosquitoes. He talked about the mosquitoes in his diary. A month-long detour that took him around the backside of a, a very large waterfall that he didn't anticipate. And he knew now that as he climbed that mountain, he would look out over it and that the waterway just on the other side would take him and his small group down right to the Pacific Ocean. But he was so disappointed because when he got to the top of that mountain, he didn't see the Pacific Ocean. What they saw were these amazing rocky mountains, miles and miles of rocky mountains, peak after peak after peak. As they stood there and looked, they realized that this wasn't the end of their journey, but the beginning of a journey. They were about to go off the map. They were about to... Everything that they knew, they knew about mountains, would have to change. They could imagine mountains. People had they would have to traverse mountains, but in which were were uh, tall, but at the top they were gentle and round. These mountains were not. To make a new, have to be willing to venture into uncharted territory without experts to lead them along the way. 
I imagine that when they got to the top of that, that hill and they looked out over that land and took a deep breath, I imagine they said, what now? I can feel a little bit like what now. There's been many a times when I've said, what now, God? On March 15th, when we, when we didn't in person, and every week since, I've said, what now, God? What now? We seem to be in that uncharted territory, and, and everything that we understand about how we do church seems to have shifted and to change. There was another group of disciples that probably stood at a very same moment and said, What now? Jesus had, they had watched their beloved Jesus come into Jerusalem and everything they knew was at that apex. They knew that God's kingdom was about to come into being and then boom, things changed really quickly. And through Jesus' trial and death and and burial and resurrection, everything that they understood, everything about life changed. They were now in uncharted territory. And as they, as they gathered with Jesus time after time over the next 40 days and talked to Him and visited with Him, He didn't give them a map to take them into the future days. He reminded them who they were. Let's read what happens when He leaves them on the side of a mountain. I'm going to be reading from Acts as this opens uh, the, the first chapter in Acts, beginning with verse 6 and going through 11. Listen now for what um, the evangelist has to tell us about Jesus' ascension into heaven. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the last time when you will restore the kingdom? Is when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, Hmm, it's not for you to know the time or the periods that the Father has set in his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria. Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up towards heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood beside them, and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up towards heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you see him go up into heaven. Thanks be to God for this amazing scripture. And may his blessing be upon us as we read it. So I'm thinking that if I were one of those disciples and I had been just sitting there watching this Jesus ascend into heaven, I would be looking up. What's going on? Um, they're happening to them. They had spent a lot Jesus, and, and now they stood there, Jesus leaving them one final time. And 
wondering, what now? What do we do? I imagine they must have been filled, filled with a sense of anxiety, a sense of, gosh, they were underprepared for sure, probably underqualified for what stood in front of them. How is it that they would share this message to the Judeans? They knew them. How is it that they would share this message to the Samaritans that they didn't get along with well? And how is it that they're going to share this message to the regions beyond that, the people that they didn't even know? And then this angel comes and says, you know what? Why are you standing there? You have work to do. Get busy. Jesus is gone, but Jesus will come again, and in the meantime, you have a job to do. Wow. They did have more than they imagined. They had one another. They had uh, Jesus' directive to go and to tell the story. And most importantly, they had the power of the Holy Spirit. I have a friend named Carlos that I went to seminary with, and while he was at seminary, he, had, uh, he, had, he and his wife had four beautiful children. Shortly after seminary, they were presented with an opportunity to adopt a fifth child. This child uh, would be born to a woman that they had come to love and know, someone they were very close to. And so just recently, he marked in, in Facebook, remembering back on the day that that young man, that baby was born, and how he and his wife went into the hospital. They had, had come to love this baby as they anticipated adopting him. They kissed the newborn baby, and they loved the mother who had given birth, and then they laid that baby back in her arms and walked out of there, not knowing what her final decision would be. One was stoic, the other one was gut-wrenched, he explains. But what they knew, for certain, was that God did not call them into this adoptive process for their own pleasure and their own comfort. But rather, God had something greater in mind for them to do. And as he reflected on the five years and how it hadn't been easy, he wondered and he posed the questions, how many of us are staring in the eyes of something that comes first. Something that we've never done before. And I thought about where we're at today. Decatur, this family. How we have so many possibilities in front of us. Back together and worshiping together. But there are still so many questions to answer. Ready to come back? I'm not sure if I am ready to people desire to see one another so much. That question, how do we make sure that our worshiping spaces are safe? Worshiping space, and there are those who guide us through the worshiping, those who guide us back out into the 
we can be safe again. There are who are asking the other questions as well. I'm about to get a new mic here. Hang on. Let me get unwound here, Ricky. Is that better, Patrick? Can you hear me? Okay, all right, let's get back to this. There's many questions on the scene. We've asked our personal questions. There's corporate questions. But there's even more important questions than that. That is, how are we responding to the needs that we don't even know exist? Needs that come out of our isolation from an economic um, time when it will impact us in ways that we have no idea. How will we continue to be God's presence in this community? Those are the important questions that we have in front of us. We are entering for very much, uh, I mean, we're entering uncharted territory, friends. There's no doubt, there's no subject matter experts, there's no book out there that says how to reopen your church during a global pandemic. I know, I have searched the internet for one. But what I do know is that we have each other. We have a directive. We have a directive to continue to tell the important story of how Jesus is at work in our lives. We tell that story to our friends. That's the easy part. We tell that story to other Christians and share that story with them, and that's the easy part. And we tell that story to our neighbors whom we may not know so well or our neighbor that we may not like so much or even our neighbor's neighbor who we do not know at all. And there's one more thing I'm absolutely certain of as we enter these uncharted times, and that is we will be granted the power of the Holy Spirit. As we journey into this time, let us lean into the guides that will guide us, the Sacagaweas who guided Lewis and Clark, the directives who guide adoptive parents into a lifelong committed to the good of a child. Let us lean into the guides that go before us and the Holy Spirit that empowers us. Thanks be to God. Amen.